principles on foreign policy, the God question, how to solve pain and poverty, and government is always the solution. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, freedom lovers. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accents, but you stay for the principles. Wee 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 wee. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about a real serious topic, and a topic I think is going to be pretty prevalent in the 2020 elections. And I think it's really important to discuss, not from a side point of view, because that's not what I do. But one of the issues that I think is going to be so relevant is foreign policy. Because right now the world is going through a period of probably uncertainty is the best way to describe it. Because you have so many different actors at play that are, you know, you maybe need to be concerned about or worried about or, or even just at the very least follow. You know, you have the situation with what's happening in Russia, you have China, you have Iran, you have Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, you have North Korea, you have uh, terrorist groups like ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram. These are still, you know, bubbling. You have Hamas, you have Hezbollah. And one of the things that really frustrates me, especially on foreign policy, is where everyone has their quote-unquote side and they talk about their talking points and they go right to their side. And then they insult the other side. So you have insults going back and forth. And when you discuss foreign policy, it's you have the, you know, the hawks, the, the neocons. And then you have the, the non-interventionist liberals and libertarians and, you know, different groups. And everyone, you know, has their side. You have, you know, if you, if you buy the, the myth and the, the, I don't know, the talking points of both sides and the insults of both sides. You literally in America have a chunk of people who literally will see every problem around the world and go bomb them. Let's just bomb them. That's the answer. Then you have my friends on the other side who are, you know, let's just not get involved in anything. And then you have the insults that go with them. You know, you're a neocon. You're a warmonger. Oh, you're just weak because you just don't want to get involved in any situation. And we've all been part of these conversations. And it's really frustrating because it's never about principles, really. And it's never about realism in the world of what we live in. You know, I've, I've had the, the foreign policy opinion of let's just take a case-by-case basis for the longest time. Is that such an unreasonable position to have? That yes, there's time to not get involved. Yes, there's situations where non-intervention is a really, really good policy. But also, is there a time where, you know what? That these are, there are really bad actors in this world. Not gonna name any of them. We'll go through them individually in a minute. But that there's bad actors at different times who, you know what? They need to see a show of strength and that sadly, Yes, violence and war is the last thing you go to. Like, you literally are checking the box. Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Okay, we've tried everything. There is a time to go to war. 
especially over certain situations. Isn't that such a crazy, I don't know, position to hold? Is that like, am I, should I be stoned at the galley for having that opinion? You know, because I don't belong to either side. Because I want to have a conversation with you, because what I am starting to see, and it's this has been around for a very long time, and this is where I'm going to, you know, annoy a lot of people. You know, if you are a long-term listener, you know I annoy everyone. You know, I annoy Trump supporters, I annoy never-Trump supporters, I annoy Democrats, I annoy Republicans, I annoy Libertarians. That's why I don't have a label. I don't have a side, which is like, I don't have a side to retreat to. But there is this aspect of America in 2019 where when I see people talk about foreign policy from libertarians, it's like America caused all these problems. America is the author of all the issues we face right now. And the only answer we have is let's just bring all the troops home. And then when you try and actually discuss that principle with people and what the world looks like, it's like, well, look, we just believe in non-interventionism. You know, We'll deal with any problem that we come to. And when you talk about actors like, well, what do you think North Korea would do then? What do you think Russia would do then? What do you think China would do then? What do you think about, you know, Iran and, you know, Saudi Arabia? What would they do? How would they act? What would happen to the world? What does that world look like? I find that there are some who will engage with me, but a lot of people will just go, look, we'll deal with it then when we come to it. We'll never get into specifics though. But there's this blame America aspect in both libertarianism and liberalism. And it's in liberalism right now because Donald Trump is president. This idea that America kind of deserves everything it's getting right now. That Donald Trump is just this really bad guy. I had, I watched, and I don't watch much of it because I don't get to watch much TV, but I saw a clip on The Blaze where Meghan McCain and Whoopi Goldberg and all the other people on The View are discussing and it's kind of like, you know, America's kind of the same and treats gay people the same as Iran does. And I'm like, are you serious? Are, are you, are you freaking kidding me? Iran and America are not the same. They're not even in the same freaking district code. They're not even in the same state when it comes to how they treat gay people. But because Donald Trump is president, it's cool to hate on America. There's always this fraction in America, regardless of the label, where it's cool to hate on America. It's cool just to, you know, have this snapshot of history or, or show facts that you don't like. It's the same with libertarians. Well, look, you know, the, you know, America is the cause of all the problems in the world right now. You know, it's our imperialism, our, our interventionism, our coups around different countries, our picking and choosing of leaders that has caused all these problems. The Middle East heck is all America's fault. Not only is that factually inaccurate, this hate America stuff, look, I'm not saying you should be proud of every and every decision America's made, especially on foreign policy, was the right one. I've been highly critical of both parties for the foreign policy decisions. But this idea that America sucks, that America is the cause of its own problems, is not true. And I want to talk to you about this principle alone, just for a few minutes. Because it's really troubling to me how there's this common ground with both libertarians and liberals who see that, you know, America is the cause of its own problems. Let's just talk about the Middle East for a second. Factually, Middle East, this idea that America has caused even 50% of the problems is not true. 
I'm sorry if you think this, but I'm going to ask you to do some homework to prove. Don't take my word for it. I want you to question everything I say on this show and on every show that we do. I'm not here to give you my opinion and make you have my opinion. I'm here to encourage you to question for yourself. And I'm going to use ISIS' own words to prove I'm right. You see, there's this idea that in foreign policy, and especially in the Middle East, that, you know what, the reason the Middle Eastern countries hate you is because, you know, you got involved and, and you picked a side in certain internal disputes in countries. And that is why they hate you. It's not true. The reason a large chunk of the problems in the Middle East have nothing to do with America. What? Do you mean they don't have nothing to do? What are you, what are you talking about, John? The large chunk, if you go back to the root of all the problems in the Middle East that you see in modern day, can all be traced back. And if you need to point a finger at someone, I'm going to give you the finger to point at. It's two countries. It's not America. America is not even one of the two countries. The two countries are England and France. We've discussed this on shows in the past, where a large chunk of the problems all go all the way back to the Sykes-Picot Agreement. And where I said I'm going to use ISIS's own words to prove I'm right, which is incredible, which, you know, even if you just say that, I'm going to use ISIS's own words to prove I'm right. And I'm not a nicest guy. I'm pretty much the furthest thing from a nicest guy that you can meet. When there was the big, you know, uprising back under in, I was like 2012, 2013, when ISIS were, you know, you remember when Barack Obama said, yeah, they're only a JV squad. Remember that, that ISIS? Well, they used to have signs. And they used to have all these different things they would share. And one of them was, we do not respect the Sykes-Picot agreement. We do not respect the Sykes-Picot boundaries. Go research what the Sykes-Picot agreement was. Because what it was, was England and France negotiated. And a large chunk, if you don't want to research it or Google it, go watch the movie Lawrence of Arabia. Where they negotiated with countries in the Middle East and said, if you help us in the world war... We'll then go back to, you know, these agreements, these boundaries. And they negotiated in bad faith because they never had any uh, anticipation or idea that they would actually enforce that agreement. They basically signed a contract going, yeah, we're going to violate that the minute it suits us. And that is why you have all these different countries called different names, different boundaries. They basically enforced their boundaries, not what they said they would do. Go research Sykes-Picot. So if you want to point the finger, which I don't know whether it's helpful or not, but it's at England and France, not America, for the situation in the Middle East. You look at, if you want to blame another entity, you can blame the UN for what it did in different aspects, where it, you know, had oil for food scams. There's a lot of people you can blame. Now, is America blameless? Am I you know, one of those people who, John, you're just so blinded by America. You just love America so much. America can do no wrong in your eyes. No. <laughs> Look, I'm not the person who says America's foreign policy is perfect. I've been highly critical for a long time, and I've got the warts to prove it. There are certain aspects. You want a pro- prime example? Syria. And this is both sides, by the way. This is not, well, you got to take the Republican position or the Democratic position. No. Syria. Assad and anti-Assad forces. At different points in time, the vast majority of politicians in D.C. picked both sides. 
They were anti-Assad, then they were pro-Assad, then they were anti-Assad, then they were pro-Assad. Assad must go, Assad must stay in power. Assad must go, Assad must stay in power. To a T, most politicians at different times, depending on the political culture, had different opinions. There is an aspect of American foreign policy that is incredibly confusing. There is an aspect where it is run by certain people who are so set in their ways, where like, no, we just can't get involved in anything. But there's also the side who want to bomb everyone. There is both sides. I think the vast majority of Americans are like, I just want peace. I just want to be left alone. I want to have a secure country that no one attacks us. And if they do, by God, they will come to live to regret that mistake. I believe that is the vast majority of Americans' foreign policy. Am I wrong? Do you disagree with me? Because if you do, I don't know what way you want to go with that. That's the vast majority of mainstream America that I know. That is their opinion. America has problems. America has done really bad things. America has sided with people. Let me give you a modern day example of something I've been critical for for nearly 20 years now. Both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, for me, have too much of a cozy relationship with Saudi Arabia. How well they're our ally, John. I've been told this by Democrats and Republicans. Saudi Arabia are our ally. Bullcrap. Bull crap. And I, I'm normally very respectful of people's difference of opinions. But that is one I'm like, no, they're not. Wake up. Saudi Arabia is for Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is for the House of Saud. Nobody else. They will use and abuse you just as much. And they have done a good job of pulling the wool over many people's eyes. And they continue to do it to this day. There are countries and decisions America has made. But we need to have a conversation about what is the ultimate aim? What is the aim? Because I look at the both the, the hawkish, the neocon side, and I look at the non-interventionist side, and I like I agree with principles from both. Is that okay to have that position in 2019? Is it okay to go, you make good points, you make good points. Let's how about we just have a case-by-case basis? And take the good from both people's arguments and put them together and have a winning argument. Not about Republican side or Democratic or liberal or conservative, but actually about truth. Let me give you, break down some of the situations that I see. One of the big ones that I agree on non-interventionist with is foreign aid. Look, the amount of America, I know Americans don't like when I say this. America, you do are not the wealthiest country in the world. In fact, I can make a good economic argument you're the poorest country in the world, as a country. The reason I can say that is because you are in debt more than any other nation. And people will always say that, but John, we look at all the money we have as people. Yeah, that's not included in the government. If you have, let's say you're a millionaire and billionaire, you know one of those people we're told to hate. If you have a million dollars in the bank account, is that yours or does that belong to the state? Should that be included in what the state owns as of what America owns? No, you have that million dollars. You have a million dollars worth of land. You have a million dollars worth of crypto. You have a million dollar company. Not the state. The state has nothing. In fact, America's state has less than nothing. You owe $22.4 trillion. No one in the history of the world comes close to owing that amount. You're so far ahead, the biggest debtor. It's crazy. But let's talk about aid. You're this country, this wonderful country, yet you still continuously give aid to every country. 
You give aid to so many countries. There's a bill been discussed, and it's only a small bill. And in the grand scheme of America's budget, it is tiny. But you're talking about doubling the amount of aid to Ireland because of Brexit. Ireland doesn't need your aid. Ireland great gratefully takes it. Ireland never says no to money. It's one thing Irish people are like, yeah, you want to, you want to give us money? Yeah, of course you can give us money. We still hate you, and Trump's still a tyrant. Trump's a Nazi, but yeah, give me the money. Give me the money. Give me the money. Give me the money. Other countries. Look at the amount of aid you give to other countries. And I'm talking about cold, hard cash. Look at what Barack Obama did with Iran. Hey, let's just give you this, this pallet load of cash in the middle of the night. Just to appease you. So foreign aid. Let's just break this down. Is foreign aid a good thing or a bad thing? Honest question. And let's just distinguish because foreign aid gets called foreign aid, but it can be different things. So there's foreign aid and where America says, hey, here's, like, I think the numbers, America gives like three quarters of a billion to Ireland. It's opened that to 1.5 if this bill passes. And it's just cold hard cash. And then Ireland will do whatever it does. It goes into the exchequer in Ireland. And then the Irish government will just spend it how they see fit to Brexit proof Ireland, quote unquote. There's other types of foreign aid where you have old jets that are, you know, you have replaced the new jets and you sell them at, market price or you sell them below profit to an ally you sell different you know defense systems you know missile protection systems to countries like israel is that that's all called foreign aid is that a good thing or a bad thing should you have those relationships honest question then there's the aim of if you truly believe which i do the vast majority of american people want peace how do you get there how do you get there because here's the frustrating thing, and this is more with my libertarian friends. Let's say, let's just play a game for a minute. And let's say for a minute, everything libertarians want, they get in America. They literally get, and I'm just going to, let's just keep this simple. You get the founding principles, you get the constitutions enforced. You do not have a strong centralized government. You have literally the government following Article 1, Section 8. President follows Article 2, which has no power. Everything's left up to the states. You have this utopia where everyone kind of agrees with libertarian principles. You know, the libertarian statement of, hey, just leave people the hell alone and don't take their stuff. Let's say America follows that. Let's even give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's say, or not the benefit of the doubt, let's add to that and say, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to whitewash history. You know every interventionist decision that you don't like that America did? We're going to whitewash history. We're going to take them away. They no longer exist. We're going to do a Jedi mind trick. You did not see this intervention. This intervention did not happen. (laughs) Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. All gone. Now, and you have a foreign policy commander in chief and president in the White House who was no intervention. Honest question. Do you think everyone would still love, would love you now? We've whitewashed history and you're leaving people the hell alone. You have no non-interventionist policies. Do you think everyone's going to love you? Do you think Iran's all of a sudden going to go, I have no problem with America? Do you think Russia's going to go, I, I have no problem? Do you think North Korea's going to go, yeah, America's our friend? They never get involved. Or do you think they're still going to hate you? Because here's where I differ from you. Because I think they're still going to hate you. Because they hate what you represent. You see, there's is there a reason some people hate America? Vladimir Putin been a prime example. He hates you in large part because of the Cold War. Because of his mother Russia was brought to her knees by Ronald Reagan. 
His mother Russia, his awesome Russia, lost. So he will hate you forever for losing the Cold War. There is no appeasement there. What can you do to get Vladimir Putin going? Yeah, me and me and America are friends. That that friendship ain't happening. That relationship's never gonna happen. But there there is a part of him and parts of places in North, like Saudi Arabia, and North Korea. They hate you because of what you represent. Because you are this country that is the shining city on a hill of what is possible. The rags to riches stories. The Emma Lazarus poem, which was a slam on Europe, which is still relevant today for Europe and for every other country. Give me your tired, your weak and your little masses yearning to breathe breathe free. What was that saying? That was saying to Europe at the time, which had a class system. It had a class system and basically said, no, you know what? You know what? All those people that you say, oh, you can't make it. Oh, you don't come from the right background. You don't have the right class. You don't have the right education. You don't have the right race. You don't have the right sexuality. You know, all those people you say that can't make it, give them over here. All those people you can't say make it. And I will give them an opportunity and they may breed free. Some will make it, some won't, but they will all have that opportunity. That is what you represent. You think North Korea, just Google any part of North Korea of what a North Korean person's life is like. Just see what their average day, see what how their dictator treats their people. And just ask yourself this question. Think of their life and think of your life. And think of if 1% of what got true of your life to the North Korean people would they be happy with their life or would they be like, you know what, that idea of freedom, those Americans can come and go as they please. Those Americans can pursue their happiness. Those Americans get to keep a large chunk of their labor. I want some of that. Man is meant to be free. Man is not meant to be controlled. It's You want to know how I can prove this is true? Look at China, where they're controlling the internet, the way they're controlling information coming into their country. America, you have problems internally on both on foreign policy, but a large chunk of the hatred towards you is partly true to your intervention. Is yes, is part because of the way you've got involved in the countries, no doubt. But a large chunk is what you represent. You are representing what is possible when man is free. Man is not controlled by the state. Man is not coerced. Man can pursue their happiness. There is no mistaking that. They hate what you represent. When Iran, the Aitala of Iran says you are the great Satan, they are saying that because you support Israel. They are saying that because of what you've done in the Middle East. But they're also saying you're the great Satan because you let people be free. Now we can argue over how free you are compared to the founding father's vision. Absolutely. But you are freer than the Iranian people. You let gay people. Gay people can marry now in America. In in Iran, they get thrown off a building. Do you think even liberals will go, you know what, should be going Iran and America? Yes, we have problems in America, but the problems for gay people in America compared to what they are in Iran are chalk and cheese. They are two extremely different kettle of fishes. You want my proof on that? If you're so unhappy with being a gay person and you think Iran and America are the same, go live in Iran for a week, a month, six months. Go on a vacation there. You're rushing to do that? This idea that America sucks needs to stop. 
We need to have factual conversations of, hey, this is what America's got wrong. This is what America can do different. Absolutely. I'm all for those conversations. I'm all for conversations about getting better. But we must start, I believe, from two count places. Because America, as far as I'm concerned, as an Irishman, is a good and noble country. Yes, you've made mistakes, but you've tried to do things the right way. Yes, you've made mistakes. But if it wasn't for the American soldier, I'd be speaking German right now. I may not be allowed to have the information that I have. So I will always be thankful for American intervention. Because they are the reason why the Europe is what it is today. Can we have those conversations? Can we have that conversation where we base it around principles, but also base it on a case-by-case basis? Or would we all be better off if we just go, well, John, you're a hawk, you're a neocon, or you're, you're weak non-interventionists, and then we just cast labels at each other? In this and on so many other issues, we need to have conversations. We need to forget the politi- political sides, the political bands, the parties, the ideologies, and just ha- start having conversations and finding common ground. Or we can just continue to in- insult each other and retreat to our camps. Which one creates a prosperous world? And which world creates a tyrannous world? I leave that question with you, America. As always, I'm on social media, Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 If you agree with me or disagree with me on to this show or any other show, get in touch with me. I engage with you. I spend time, you know, messaging you back and forth. You know, some of you message me and go, I think you're wrong. Some of you message me going, you know, thanks for what you do. What do you message me going, you know, you get the usual hate and insult, which is fine. It's, it's all good and fun. And then others message me about my, my accent. <laughs> The way I pronounce certain words. Yes, I know I say tree and tree and you don't know the difference whether it's the number or the, the thing that grows out of the ground. I get it. I, I'm not the, the best speaker, shall we say. I don't emphasize certain words. So I apologize if that offends you, but you know, it's all good fun and I enjoy it. I wanted to talk to you about a principle which is about religion. But I want to bring it back and I want to talk to you about it, not to try and convert you to Christianity or any aspect, but I think it's relevant because it's relevant in a Christian point of view because, you know, Christianity and, and Judaism is coming under, under attack and it's a question that needs to be answered. But it also links back to the great difference between the philosophies of, you know, conservatism and libertarianism versus, you know, more liberal progressivism. And I think it's very important to answer that. And the question that I get, and I actually, this is inspired by someone who sent me a video of someone answering this question was, you know, you're a Christian and you believe in this God in the sky who, you know, created the heavens and the earth in six days and he's awesome and he can do amazing things and you worship him and you pray to him. And yet we live in a world with so much pain. We live in a world with so much anger. We live in a world where three-year-old and four-year-olds die from cancer. And yet you still think your God is great. You know, you're, where's your God now? Why is he not doing anything? Why, why are they not getting involved? Are you telling me that four-year-old kid deserves to die? Where's your God? He's deserted you or maybe better yet, he never even existed. Shh. 
And this is something that I'm sure is if you're a Christian or a Jew, you, you've come up with this type of, you know, excuse or you've come up with this type of, you know, opening salvo into a discussion. And sometimes these discussions don't last very long because what I have found is of the intentions of the debate. You know, for me, I'll always debate anyone if there's noble intentions behind it where it's like, I have, I have democratic friends. We disagree on pretty much everything. But there's a noble intention of the debate where it's let's have this discussion, but we, you know, we're gonna we're gonna part friends. You know, it's not hey, I'm trying to change you and make you a I don't know what I am a conservative libertarian, and you're not trying to change me into a democrat. It's just a noble intent to have a discussion and maybe agree to disagree or maybe find some common ground. With this, I always find there it's trying to get me to wake up and say hey, oh God, yes, I realize God doesn't exist. Oh shoot. But how I answer that question is, because I spend a lot of time with how do you want the world to look? And I always talk to people, how do you want the world to look? Because it's easy to look at the the world and say, look, you know, if God just got involved in everything, which, by the way, goes against Christian thinking, because God's greatest gift to man, if you're a Christian, what is, stop this recording and ask yourself, what is God's greatest gift to man? And then turn me back on when you have the answer. But one of the things I would say, if not the greatest, it's one of the greatest, but it's my opinion the greatest gift to man was free choice. The idea that you can chart your own reason. You can chart your own path in life. That you don't have to know I exist. You don't even have to worship me. But you can go around slandering me all day long. I'll still be here. This idea that, you know, there is free choice. That, you know, you don't have to live a certain way. You can, hey, this is the way, you know, my commandments and this is the way I would recommend you live. But you know what? If you're like, hey, screw it. I don't want to follow that way. I don't want to follow you. Yes, you're the creator and yes, you've done all this, but I don't want to follow your rules. I want to go my own way. Okay. It doesn't lead in a, ha- it doesn't end in a happy place, but okay. This idea that you have free choice, freedom. This idea that you can chart your own course and do what you want, I think is God's greatest gift. But when it comes to people who go, well, you know, John, you know, does a four-year-old kid really deserve to die from leukemia because your God gave us free choice? Think about the world you want to live in. Do you want to live in a world where there is no pain? Yeah, hell yeah, I do. No suffering? Hell, hell, John, sign me up right now. Hey, I just want your God to get involved and, you know, prove he is a God. Do you really? Would that world be awesome? Or would that world be so monotonous and so boring? Because it's easy to look at the world going, you know what? We'll just have no pain, no suffering. But would you really have it? Let's just take that example. The four-year-old kid who died from leukemia. Well, God gets involved and saves his life. Okay. Would that be great? Absolutely. Do I believe God gets involved in cases where there's, where he's asked to and where people pray to him and say, Hey, look, I really need a miracle here. You know, please help my kid. I do believe so. Yes. I do believe in that he gets involved. I do believe he's ever present in our lives, whether you want him to be or not. But first of all, you have to ask him to help you. If you don't believe in him and you don't ask, why, how would he get involved? But second of all, do you think pain and suffering ever ends? 
do you think man is capable of just accepting a greater power where there is no higher power or there is no pain and suffering? Do you think that's possible? Or do you think man would simply find new ways to get involved in other people's lives? Do you then want God to fix that pain and suffering? Where is the line? Because if you believe, like I do, that God's greatest gift is free choice, you have to accept that warts and all. Free choice means free choice. It doesn't mean, well, when I do good things and, you know, I will have a positive outcome, I I don't need you. But when things go bad, it's when I need you. You know, in many ways, Christian theology teaches you, and, and Judaism teaches the same thing. He's your father. It's one of the reasons, you know, you, when you bless yourself, it's the name of the father. He's your father. He wants you to do well. How do you think you would raise your kid if you raised your kid today where there is no pain, there is no suffering, that you wrap them in bubble wrap? Or do you think it's healthy that you kind of know, you know, you need to deal with pain and suffering, that you need to overcome adversity? Do you think that's healthy? How I answer that question is always the same. Look, I wish there was no pain and suffering in the world. It'd be wonderful. But that's not realistic. Because while you may take, well, you know, we'll get rid of cancer. Okay. We'll get rid of heart attacks. Okay. We'll get rid of strokes. Great. We'll get rid of Parkinson's. Great. We'll get rid of dementia. Great. We'll get rid of all these other things. Diabetes. Okay. But here's the thing. What person's purpose have you taken away by doing that? Because we always just look at the simplest. Well, look, you know what? You know, we just got rid of cancer. Okay, that's and there's no downside to that. What about the heroes that were born with a purpose to cure cancer? What about their purpose? Their purpose was, I'm going to create the cure for cancer. I'm going to make this world a better place. If you cure cancer, you've just taken away that person's purpose, that person's life goal. Is that a healthy thing to do? But then we'll move on to something else that people always go, well, okay, we can maybe, you know, the medicine's one thing, but what about wars? Where's your God in wars? In famine? In suffering? Yes, everyone focuses on, well, you know, I remember the question used to be that it's always revolves around World War II, especially because World War II, everyone knows about, most people do anyway. You know, well, John, if, 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 you know, if God was around, he would have stopped baby Hitler. Again, free choice. Hitler was a free person. Hitler had the same freedoms that everyone does. It's just he happened to use his badly and make really bad choices and become a really despicable, one of the most despicable people that ever lived. But what about all the heroes? Last week or two weeks ago, we celebrated D-Day, the D-Day landings. We celebrated their 75th anniversary. What about all the heroes that were found that day? All those men and women who risked it all. Should we remember them? Do we? Does this world need heroes where people make the ultimate sacrifice? Do we take away their sense of purpose? But I know this is contentious because we're talking about wars and famines and diseases. People go, well, are you are you telling me just because you want people to have a sense of purpose and to live their life's mission that you're willing for all the other people to die? I know there are some people who will take that and, you know, twist my words. I'm not saying that. I don't want pain and suffering. But is it realistic to live in a world that doesn't have any? Now, we can argue, as a Christian, you can argue this, or as a Jew, you can argue this. Well, you know, if Eve didn't, you know, go to the tree of knowledge, and if they just, Adam and Eve, followed God's commandments, this would never have happened. 
It's a simplistic way of looking at it, but there is that argument. But here's the thing. They didn't. A man is flawed. Man has deep, you know, has the potential for great good, but also has the potential for great evil inside of him. Do you want to dehumanize the individual to live in a utopia? I don't. Because as much as I see great pain and suffering in the world, I'm inspired by the heroes. I'm inspired by your founding fathers. Your founding fathers wouldn't have existed without the king, without that evil, treacherous king imposing his will on the American people. Your founding fathers would just be, eh, just another. George Washington would just be another man. James uh, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams would all just be other men. Benedict Arnold would just be another man because we wouldn't have the same don't be a Benedict Arnold. Is that the world you want to live in? I'm not defending pain and suffering, but is this the world you want to live in? Where you don't have the heroes, where you don't have the people who rise up, who didn't overcome adversity. Is there any respect that you can find in someone who, who comes from literally nothing and drags themselves up through the mud? True pain, true suffering to have a brighter tomorrow. But also the other lesson on the backside of it is, you know, all these people who really have nothing and then all of a sudden find success. What about all the good deeds they do? What about all the charities they set up to help other people? What about all the missions that they do that they have a brighter tomorrow that they give to their kids? Where they grew up with absolutely nothing, where they grew up through poverty, and then they start making it and they have a comfortable life, and then they have kids, and then they start giving their kids benefits that they never thought they'd have. Why? Because they didn't want their kids to grow up the same way they did. If you have no pain and suffering, all those life lessons go away. But here's from a fate point of view, where I want to finish up and ask you one question. One of the reasons I love America the way I do, especially your founding principles, is because I appreciate the ideals more because I live under a country that doesn't respect freedom, which does not respect the individual, which does not respect man being not meant to be controlled, that does not respect, hey, you have a right to pursue your happiness and keep the fruits of your labor, that is always seeking to punish you and dehumanize you if you don't belong to the right clan. And punish you if you're too successful. If you get quote unquote too big for your britches. If there's no pain and no suffering. Do you really appreciate anything? Would you appreciate freedom? If everything was all the same. Would I love America the way I do? Because America is unique and exceptional. Would you have that great love for those principles? Or would you just take everything for granted? And maybe start a whole new level of pain and suffering. Because, hey, we have, you know, if we, things get out of whack, God will save us. God will intervene and push us right back on the right course. Even though we don't deserve it, we just, hey, we don't have any self-responsibility. Once we, we'll just do whatever we do. And if we get out of whack, God will push us right back on the course. And there's no pain and no suffering. Is that a system that is lent to growing as individuals? Is that a system that you want? Where there is no accountability. There is no self-responsibility. Something to ask yourself.
Speaking of why I love America, don't forget, starting Monday, this Monday, 12 noon Eastern, each and every day we're going to start releasing a serial onto the Declaration of Independence. Next week, you don't need me to tell you, you don't need an Irishman to say, next week is Independence Day. And yes, it's Independence Day, not July 4th. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. We don't go around and say, hey, happy December 25th. No, it's it's happy Christmas or happy holidays or happy Hanukkah or whatever you want to do. We celebrate Independence Day on this show. But each day, starting Monday, 12 noon Eastern, there's going to be a show 10, 12 minutes long. We're going to do a deep dive into the Declaration of Independence. And I, I encourage you to share it with your family and your friends, but also with kids. It's not going to be about politics. It's not going to be about, hey, getting things involved in things your kids may not need to know about. It's going to talk about your history. And I do believe the stuff I've got planned, I, I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. Because it's it's history. And it's why I love your nation so much. That starts Monday at 12 noon Eastern, and it's free, ad-free, commercial-free. It's free to share anywhere. But going on from what I just spoke to you from a Christian point of view, I want to bring it to a modern-day philosophical point of view, even if you don't believe in God. What world do we want to live in? And what ideology do we want to live under? Because I see, I have many democratic friends who their intent is noble. Their intents are good. They're good people. And they see things, and I'm just going to use one example. Poverty. And they see great pain and great suffering in poverty. Where there is literally families who have no money to put food on the table. They see homeless people living on the streets. And they go, we need to do something. Now, their answers are always government-centric. But the first thing I always ask, are your intents noble? A lot of my Democratic friends, their, their intents are noble. They just see government as the great equalizer. They see things, hey, I think this is an injustice. I believe we need to do something. And the answer is government. We don't disagree on what the problem is. We don't sit there, there's no one I know who is even the most hardened libertarian who's looking at the homeless person going, he deserves that, she deserves that, or is, isn't touched by a family who can't put food on the table going, you know, they, they deserve that and I have absolutely no sympathy. I have friends on both extremes who disagree on everything, on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the political spectrum, even though there's many sides. They all agreed that's wrong. Where the big disagreement is, is on what we want to do. How we want to get a better tomorrow. How do we get there? Whose responsibility is it? Does the individual bear responsibility? And this is where I'm going to make some people very uncomfortable with what I'm about to say. Some people are in a bad situation because of their life choices. And if we get to a point where you have someone who's made some really bad life choices, which you may call a human right, but if they make some bad choices, is it healthy for them to make bad choices and not have to pay their price to society? That they don't have to be uncomfortable for a period in their life choices, where someone just comes along and goes, you know what, you made this bad life choice, we're just fixing it, we're just going to remove that from history. Now let me give you some examples. Let's take someone who's homeless. Are there people out there who are homeless on the street because they've had a really bad run of luck? And by the way, I'm not just saying this. I'm not just talking about this from an opinion point of view of someone who's sat in some ivory tower. 
I've talked about someone about this in the past. I used to be a president of a society in Dublin which helped poor people. I was also a national trainer who used to train volunteers to go out and help people on the poor. So while I am no expert, I have been around a lot of these situations. I'm not talking from an opinion. I'm talking from experience. Are there some people out there who have a really bad situation who are, you know, just everything goes wrong and and they lose their house and then they become homeless? Yes, there are. Now, how do you help that person? How do you get to a point where you're like, you know what? There's this person who's lost everything, who's had a really bad run of luck. How do you help them? Because right now, there's two ideologies. Even though they're called different labels and they're different names, there's an ideology where we just got to give them a hand up. Let them get them back on their feet. Let's give them a load of money. Or is there the ideology where it says, let's help that person Not through government and giving them money, but let's encourage them. Let's reach out as a fellow man. Let's reach out as a Christian and let's actually live the life of Jesus. Let's actually help them. Let's help them get back up. Let's give them a job. Let's give them a place to stay. Let's give them charity. Not through government, but through actual charity. Where I will go and I will fundraise. Again, another thing I have done where I've asked people, hey, we need this money to help these people. Please give us money. And we get that money. And then it is our responsibility to come up with plans to help these people. So is there a difference? Yes. We both want to help people. We both want to help them by true benefits. It's just one is how you fund it. That's where one big difference is. A lot of people want to fund it through taxation. Through telling people they must help these people, we're going to take a tax dollar from you and give it to them because they're more noble or better than you. I believe in not giving it through government, but through charity, through churches, through individuals. Because while there are people who are homeless right now, who are homeless because of a really bad situation, through maybe some doing of their own or maybe no doing of their own, there are also people who are homeless because there is no incentive. Because they've got comfortable in a standard of living. And a lot of people will go, and I've said this before, how can people get comfortable in a standard of living if they're homeless? Because they've accepted that they can live off a certain amount of money per day. True. That they get X amount of benefits from their government. That they get X amount of money through just begging, through doing nothing. And they've accepted that this is a way of life. Is that a pain and suffering that you think is healthy? where there is no responsibility for your actions, where you're just going to come along and help people. If I may get biblical for a minute, this all boils down to, hey, do you want to give a man a fish? And then you give him a fish tomorrow and a fish the next day and the next day and the next day. Or is it more noble and better to actually go, you know what? I'm not going to give you a fish. And I'm not going to give you a fish tomorrow or the next day. Heck, I'm never, ever giving you a fish. But here's what I will do for you. I'll teach you how to fish so that you're not dependent on me coming along every day, giving you a fish to eat. I'm going to give you the lesson of how to fish so you are totally independent from me, from the state, and from everyone else. Which is the more noble pursuit? Which is going to have the more prosperous belief? Because here's where it gets to real uncomfortable position. If someone doesn't want to make themselves a better life, If someone doesn't want to live to our standards, if someone doesn't want to pursue their happiness, 
i.e. do the typical thing, you know, make a better life, get a job, or even a part-time job, or go to college. If someone's like, you know what, I just want to live on the side of the street and beg, who are we to come along and force them to? Who are we to come along and say, you got to live by our standards? You have the, the right, the choice to do that. If you want to come along and just inject yourself with drugs every time you get any money, who are we to come along and say that's not healthy? Who are we to put there and force our beliefs on them? We have free choice. And yes, we may have the most noblest intents of, well, look, you're going to have a life of pain and suffering. It's their choice. What world do you want to live in? How do you want to solve poverty? Because I want to solve poverty as much as every any Democrat out there. Except I don't want to give them fishes. You see, what Democrats do, and I'm not saying Democratic people, I'm saying the Democratic Party, and in large part the Republican Party, through different ways. They give people fishes. And they say, hey, I'm compassionate. I'm awesome. Look at me. And they'll have a big photo up of me giving you a fish. But then you're reliant on me tomorrow giving you that fish. And you're dependent upon me. And then you need to say, I need to come along and say, hey, this is why you need to vote for me. I'm the person giving you the fish. Without me, you starve. And this is all dressed up in the guise of compassion. Is that system compassionate to you? And again, I say this not as some, you know, someone's going to listen to this going, ah, there's John, he's he's a millionaire and billionaire, he's really well off. No. I struggled for work for seven long years. I starved. I know you might look at me and go, he's never starved a day in his life. There were times where literally for my dinner, I was having baked beans on toast because that was all I could afford. I am well used to living without money. I am. I can tell you firsthand how bad poverty gets. I can give you firsthand experiences. It is not fun. But as I always challenge my friends and I gave them my situation, going, give me the government problem that fixes that. Now, I'm in a situation where I my life has become a lot better. Why? Because I got a full-time job. Because I was fiscally responsible that every penny I earned, I paid off all my debts. To where a point where I'm debt-free. But I didn't get that through a government program. I didn't even get a true charity. I got a true opportunity through a full-time job, to be in control of my ship once again, to be in control of my destiny. That is what we're having a conversation about in America and around the world. Because socialism is guised as compassion. And it may have compassionate undertones where people actually believe, hey, I don't want people to be pain, have pain and suffering. I want to help them. I think it's fair that people who have a lot of money, who won't miss an extra few tax dollars, that we give it to people who would make an enormous amount of difference to. They may fool themselves, they may guise it as compassion, but it boils down to, what is compassion? Is it compassionate to give people a fish? In some cases, sure. But is it compassionate to always say, hey, I'm giving you this fish and you need me for the rest of your life? Or is the real compassion saying, hey, you need a helping hand. Let's give you the empowerment. Let's give you opportunity. Let's say, you know what, you are yet again the captain of your ship, the master of your fate, and you can do anything. And give them a job. Get them on a path to being a better tomorrow. This is the ideology questions we need to ask ourselves. 
This is not a Republican or a Democrat question. This is a American problem, but it's also a worldwide problem. Because so many people, the answer is government. I say the answer is individuals. It's one of the one of the many reasons I finish the show each and every week the same way I do. The last thing you hear me say is America is great because Americans are good. That is where your greatness lies. When I see natural disasters, natural disasters, like when I was there a couple of years ago, hurricane, um, the hurricane who hit, hit Houston, unbelievable pain and suffering. But the amount of stories that uplifted me of people going, you know what, I'm going to help my fellow American. I don't care if they're race. I don't care if they're sexuality. I don't care whether, obviously it wasn't a question at the time, but hey, I don't care whether you love Trump or hate Trump. You're in pain and suffering. I'm going to help you. That is where you're your best. Not government, but individuals. And I fully admit, as a Christian, people of my kind, of Christians, need to step up and do more. That we sit, a lot of Christians sit behind ivory towers, sit behind their gold chalices in their comfortable homes and don't do enough for the poor. I'd be the first one to agree with you. We need to step up. But so does every American. Because I ask you this once again, what is real compassion? If I give you a fish or if I teach you how to fish? Thank everyone for tuning into this show. If you if you're listening on any platform, I ask you to subscribe. We're on all platforms that have podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Castbox, Spotify, Omni FM, iHeartRadio, um, everyone basically that's out there. If you can hit subscribe, also if you happen to listen on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm and helps new people find this show. And honestly, I can't grow this show without each and every one of you sharing it with your family and your friends and, and subscribing and tuning in each week at, at 12 noon or, you know, whenever during the week you listen. We've been talking a lot about government and I want to finish up today's space, today's show by sharing a story with you from Ireland about how Government can cause a lot of problems, and whether they know it or not, even if you give them the benefit of the doubt and say, look, their noble intentions are pure and they're honest, but they do create a lot of problems. And I want to highlight one of the problems to you and give you some figures and one of the impacts it's having. So in Ireland, we have a budget system, actually have a budget system where Every October, the Minister of Finance comes together and puts forward a budget of, hey, this is the taxes. Is it going up? Are they going down? And you also then have a Minister of Expenditure who will say, hey, these are the, you know, the expenses this year. We're giving more to this department, more to this department. And this is what we reckoned for the year and then how much money we need to borrow. And they come up with a plan and then they present the budget to the government and the government says yes or no. And the people and the, the ministers all vote on it. Well, in Ireland, because we do a budget every year, which is something America should actually follow, we have things that are called the old reliables. So anytime, you know, the ministers get together and say, hey, we need this money, we, we kind of need more money, though. You know, we need to give more money to the health service or, you know, we need to borrow less. We need to raise taxes somewhere. Well, there's three products that are called the old reliables. And anytime there's a shortfall, these always get hit. And you can probably guess the three, but in case you can't, the three old reliables are in order. Cigarettes, booze, and gas, i.e. petrol. Anytime that they need money, they go up. 
they have gone up so much, especially cigarettes is by far and, and away the hardest hit. Cigarettes is always hit, nearly every year, by a chunk of money. And it's not a small increase. It's not like, well, look, what we're going to do is we're going to raise the pack of cigarettes by a cent or two cent. No, some of them, I think the biggest increase was like by 63 cent. Can you imagine if you, let's say, had something that was like 10 bucks and then tomorrow was 1063? That's a big price increase and it's all taxes. The taxes have gone up so much on cigarettes that in Ireland today, a pack of cigarettes is 12 euro 70 cent, which give or take the exchange rate is about 14 bucks. When I was in Spain a while back, I, I, I was just nosy and there was a, something I actually hadn't seen in a long time. There was actually a vending machine of cigarettes. Normally I haven't seen one of them in years. Now granted I don't smoke, so I'm not looking for one, but they used to be fairly common around places. So when I saw it in a, in the hotel, I was like, wow, I haven't seen one of them in a while. And I checked how much the price was there. The, they were cheap non-brand cigarettes, which I'd never heard of. They were like four bucks. And the, the branded ones were like four seventy, four eighty-five. Ireland, it's twelve seventy. Just to show you how much taxes are on cigarettes in Ireland, roughly seventy-nine percent of that twelve seventy goes to the government in either taxes or excises or duties. Seventy-nine percent. Now, just on a side point, can you imagine the reaction from politicians, from media, from people if it came out? That there was a, you know, I don't know, Wall Street was charging you a, t- a profit margin of 79%. Can you imagine the outrage that there would be? There would be, there'd be articles written about this when the government does it, not much, nothing. There's, if there's anything, it's a whimper. What is the consequence of this? First question I'd ask you is, and highlight to you is, what is the role of government? We're going to be talking about this next week in the special on, you know, why America is different and the Declaration of Independence. Because you say the role of government is fundamentally different. Over here, the role of government changes on a daily basis. One of the reasons, even though it's they're known as the old reliables, especially the cigarettes, and it's always a way to make up shortfall and to get more tax revenue, depending on the person, they'll admit the real reason. They, they'll, they, or they'll hide the real reason. They'll either say it's just to get more money into the state, or they'll hide it and go, well, look, what we're really trying to do, I know people think that we're just trying to get more money from people, but we're not. Our intentions are pure. We're trying to, to shape people's habits, shape people's actions, because look, smoking is a really bad thing. Drinking is a really bad thing. And look, you know, the co- the effect of, you know, people smoking and on our health service and how much money we have to invest in it is a big deal. So that's why we need to raise taxes. We ultimately want you to stop smoking. The government has actually invested in, in plans to get people to stop smoking. They've brought in smoking bans, but the truth is they actually don't. They actually need you to smoke because if there was no smoking in Ireland, tax revenues would go down quite a lot. If you think of 79% of twelve seventy per every pack of cigarettes, that's a lot of money each year into the tax revenue. So they don't want you to stop. It's that, it's that Sophie's choice. Hey, we need them to, we want them to stop money because it's costing our health service money, but we also need the, the revenue it gives us now. But they say it shapes people. They want to change people's habits. Now, what do you think is going to happen if you have a product? That has gone up a lot in the last 10, 20 years. And it's all due to taxation. 
What do you think is going to happen? Can it happen with, like what happened with prohibition in your country? Even though they're not banned, the price has just gone up so much. Well, smuggling has gone up. And what happens with smuggling? Well, there was a raid last week. Or it's actually a couple of weeks ago now. Where all the people got involved in revenue, because revenue have, are involved, the guards are involved, what we call our police. And they basically did this big raid, and it was a very successful quote-unquote raid. And they got 42.3 million euros worth of illegal cigarettes. That is about $50 million. Now, bear in mind, we're a population of 4 million people. It's a, imagine that in a state raid, in one raid. That's a large raid and a successful raid if you follow the narrative of the police. Now, why is this a big deal? Because it has so many knock-on effects that you don't see. There's a group in Ireland, an independent group called RAS, and they're the retailers against smuggling. What is the consequence of smuggling? What is the consequences of large amounts of tax on cigarettes? People have smuggled them and then people sell them on the streets. And what has happened is in an era of online shopping, the little corner shop is struggling for footfall. Because people will go into the local corner shop. They won't go into the, like, the big Walmarts and stuff. They just go into a, like, a little mall and they'll buy a cig- pack of cigarettes. I need cigarettes. I'll go in and buy them. But then they buy other stuff as well. They go in to buy a pack of cigarettes and, you know, because things and displayed marketing is really prominent. Hey, I got to go to the counter to pay for my cigarettes and get my cigarettes. Oh, I'll buy a bar of candy. Or, you know what? Actually, I'll, I'll, I need to do the lotto. The lotto is this Saturday. I need to do the lotto. Or, you know, I need to put money on my bus card tickets. Or I need to buy a, you know, I just need to buy a bit of milk as well and bread. And I need to buy, you know, I might buy myself a bit of lunch and I'll buy, buy, buy myself a sandwich. Well, guess what? Because there's people buying cigarettes on the street, the footfall into these shops has gone down. And because the footfall has gone down, they're no longer buying other purchases like bread, milk, bus tickets, um, you know, phone credits, chocolates. So what's happened? All these retailers are struggling and some have closed. Now, what is the response, sadly, from this organization? Well, sadly, these retailers are going, we can't have any smuggling. We can't, you know, we need to stop it. So what they're asking for is more money from the taxpayer to give to the government so the government can get involved with more revenue people and more guards to invest these, to get these smugglers because it's hurting their business. And they say, if you keep hurting our businesses and businesses close, it's not only hurting the revenue because you're not getting taxes and excises and duty from the illegal cigarettes, but eventually we're going to go out of business. And if we go out of business, you're not getting in corporation tax. You're not getting taxes from our employees. So it's going to hurt the economy. Sadly, when you have governments and you have government-centric people, government is never the problem. Government has caused this problem through excessive taxes. Government has caused this problem through continuously hitting the old reliable of cigarettes because, hey, smokers just deserve it. And, hey, you know what? We can hide behind the narrative of the reason we're increasing the taxes on cigarettes is for your own good because you're too stupid to know you shouldn't be smoking that many cigarettes. Or if we if we increase the price, you'll smoke less. And then, hey, thank us for making you smoke less and letting you live longer. Because government is your nanny. That is the narrative of behind it. And the answer is always more and more and more government. The answer is not stepping back and looking going, hey, why are people smuggling? Why is there a market for cigarettes? 
There's another reason there is, there's a market for dark cigarettes because through their infinite wisdom, there's a pack of cigarettes. I'm not, I'm not a smoker, so I, I'm going to say this really bad. But you know, there's a pack of cigarettes where they're rolled and stuff and you just take out a cigarette and you go light it up and you start smoking. Well, there's also a pouch of tobacco where it's like a patch, pouch of the tobacco and then you roll it yourself. Well, because kids were getting this tobacco and that's a bad thing. And it's government's role to stop this. One of the things they did was they, because they thought an incentive if they made it so expensive that it wouldn't be, kids on pocket money wouldn't be able to buy it. So they can't increase the taxes again on just on these products because that would put that company out of business. They said, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a minimum, minimum pouch size of 30 grams. Why is that? What has that done? People who actually roll their own stuff can't afford this. So if they can't afford it, not because of taxation, not because of price, but because of the size of the packet, they go to the black market and get a 10-gram pack of tobacco or a 15-gram pack of tobacco or a 20-gram pack of tobacco, but not 30. The answer is always the same. It's more government. It's never stepping back and looking going, hey, have we caused this problem? Hey, how about we reduce taxes? And then because people have become so ingrained in the government spin, because government have repeated these lines for years upon years upon years upon years on both sides of the aisle, that if government actually stepped back and went, you know, we have a serious problem with smugglers and it's going to affect people's livelihoods and shops, let's reduce taxes. The reaction from the media, from the people, would be anarchy. It would be, why are you reducing taxes on cigarettes? That's not what we do in this country. Why are you not helping people? Do you not care about smokers' health? There will be campaigns asking them, literally begging the government, because we are so well-trained from the narrative from both sides of the aisle in Ireland of government being the answer and taxation. There would literally be campaigns to go, we need to put their taxes back up on cigarettes, for revenue point of view or from a health point of view. And everyone would call for it. So the cycle keeps going and going and going and going and going. Because, hey, it doesn't affect me. I'm not a smoker. And, hey, you shouldn't be a smoker either. Because I'm great at telling other people how to live. This is my fear for America when I see both Republicans and Democrats. The problems all become government. Government is the answer. Government is the answer. Government is the answer. Government is the answer. And even though government has created this problem, it will only continue to make it worse. The answer will be, let's get smuggling off the streets. It's not a supply and demand issue. It's not any other issue. It's not a taxation issue. It's just people want to break the law. No, it's that there's a market. Some people can't afford twelve seventy for a pack of 20 cigarettes. So some people will go up to another country, buy them real cheap for three, four bucks a pack, and then sell them to you for maybe seven or eight. Government creates problems. And then the answer is more and more government. And who wins? Bureaucrats, politicians. The people always lose. And the people have been so well trained, especially in places like Ireland, England and Europe, that we never question it. It's never a question of should we reduce government. It's always, well, which government, which party is going to run government better? Which is going to be more efficient? And it always involves in creating more and more and more government. That's why I spoke about last week, giving you a flashback to conservatism in 2012, where we used to openly say, hey, we want to cut government. We want to cut the three government departments. And Rick Perry was mocked for it because he couldn't name the third department he wanted to cut. It ended his campaign. Now, 
Who wants to cut anything? When was the last time we talked about destroying the IRS? And when I say destroy, I mean abolish it. When was the last time we talked about abolishing the Department of Energy, the Department of Education? When was the last time Conservatives talked about abolishing any part of the government? Because government has become so ingrained. Now Conservatives are talking about investigating Google and potentially been open to breaking up big tech. Look at how much we've changed. If you understand the role of government and what it is, it's not the giver of your rights. It's not to be the great equalizer in society. It's not to be run more efficient by quote-unquote my side. It is to protect individual rights. It is to protect the individual. And that is some of the things we are going to discuss next week. And I ask you to join me starting Monday at 12 noon Eastern. We are doing a deep dive into the Declaration of Independence. So that when you have your barbecue, when you have your beer, you're having your hot dog, you're watching those amazing fireworks displays, everyone knows what you're celebrating. It's not, hey, Independence Day, the day we celebrate, we got our independence from aliens with Will Smith. It's not, hey, it's just another national holiday where we all have a bit of fun. No, you're celebrating the world changing, where America was formed and started a new course and literally changed the world for everyone that we know. I ask you to join me this Monday, and I ask you to share it with your family and friends. Share this show. I hope this show has given you something to think about until next, actually next Monday, but next Saturday the show will be the same as always. I salute your emergency personnel, your police officers, your firefighters, those men and women who risk it all, and most importantly, your military, who are overseas risking it all for a better tomorrow. And lastly, if nothing else you hear from this show, you hear this. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Have a beautiful and blessed weekend, and I'll see you Monday at 12 noon Eastern. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.